0: Hello and welcome to Sound Strategic, the podcast of the International Institute for Strategic Studies. I'm Mayan Owens.
1: And I am Antonio Sampaio. Today we're discussing fragility, a concept that has acquired increasing relevance when it comes to international security and armed conflict, since it expresses deep-rooted flaws in the political systems of many countries affected by conflict and armed violence. Fragile countries are those with deep governance challenges, and state institutional weaknesses, and therefore are unable to fulfill basic expectations of their populations. Our guest is Frank Bousquet, who is Senior Director of the World Bank's Fragility, Conflict and Violence Group.
0: Frank, welcome. The World Bank has traditionally been associated with promoting socioeconomic development um, and fighting poverty. Why is the Bank increasing its focus on tackling issues like conflict and violence?
2: Well, first, uh, thank you, Mia. Thank you, Antonio. Very happy to be part of this uh, of this interview, focusing on uh, how to help countries impacted by fragility, conflict and violence. And just to rebound on your first questions, why does the World Bank focus on those set of countries? Because there is a direct link with our twin goal that consists to eradicate poverty. Uh, In fact, extreme poverty is increasingly concentrated in location that we call FCV. Fragility, Conflict, Violence location. Uh, A report that we just released two months ago shows that by the end of 2030, most of the extreme poor will live there. So that for us, it's very clear, we need to be present where the poorest people are because that's where the need is. And uh, Unfortunately, uh, if I may add, um, if you look at the trend over the past few years, this agenda of fragility, conflict and violence, FCV, is more important than ever. I mean, as you know, the global fragility landscape uh, has in fact worsened significantly in recent years, uh, impacting by the way low but also middle-income countries, and uh, the violent conflicts have increased to the highest level observed over the past three decades. Uh, So clearly, uh, this is an issue extremely important to achieve our twin goal to eradicate poverty and also I would like to mention that this is however not new for the bank. Uh, The bank uh, was set up after World War II to focus on IBRD meaning the reconstruction of countries, in fact the first uh, beneficiary country was my home country France uh, and we have been involved on, uh, on those topic of reconstruction since the very beginning. What has changed over the past few years is that now we actually uh, being involved across the, the fragility spectrum, uh, moving from purely a focus on reconstruction to a work during crisis, uh, but also working on, on prevention.
1: Precisely on this issue of, on this change that the World Bank is um, has been introducing to its way of work from a focus on uh, the post-conflict development, which I would say is a, is a more classic um, uh, focus of the international development community, uh, developing countries after conflict and the separation between conflict countries and post-conflict countries to a focus on preventing conflict and um, addressing some of the issues during conflict uh, to try perhaps to 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 steer it from conflict towards, um, towards peace and, and development. So, in practice, how does that work? What are some of the areas that the World Bank thinks are critical to address conflict as well as uh, long term development?
2: So, uh, I mean, Antonio, you rightly said, and I think it's, right, it's also spelled out in the in strategy. Uh, it's very important to support countries uh, moving out of fragility and focusing on reconstruction, but it's actually even more important to focus on what we call prevention. In fact, we released last year a report, a joint report with the UN, who is an important partner in those countries, the United Nations, of course, um, that shows that $1 invested in prevention allows to save $16 down the road. So what does it mean? One of the key priority for this strategy in those set of countries is really uh, taking a prevention approach, if I may say, which means looking at the root cause of conflict in each country before they turn into full-blown crisis. Now, of course, it's from a development perspective. So in some place, it could be a conflict over shrinking natural resource due to climate change. In other place, it could be about grievances of people not feeling included or feeling like their needs are not being met. So for us, it's very important to focus on the identification, but also on addressing those uh, grievances and helping governments uh, with the right incentive uh, as part of the country dialogue and financing instruments to provide uh, more focus uh, to address those risks. Uh, and this is what we are doing under, for instance, our fund for the poorest countries called IDA, the International Development Association. If, if I may want just to give one a concrete example for our uh, audience in Niger. Uh, we are focusing on strengthening economic opportunity for young people and women in conflict-affected regions by helping the government to address grievances around service delivery and promoting peaceful management of resources, and also improving the livelihood of marginalized groups. This is very important because this is about preventing the escalation of violence or outbreak of new conflicts by addressing grievances of some groups from a development perspective so this is really important uh, Antonio that you raise that there has been a shift over the past decades from a focus on reconstructions to a focus now which is an important point about prevention and also I would say a focus on working during crisis which is another area of the uh, strategy uh, that we uh, presented last February to our board the whole point here is to say that we cannot wait for the end of a conflict. It's very important, even during this period of crisis and conflict to be present, but of course, focusing uh, on our mandate. We are not the blue helmets, we are not the Red cross. Uh, our mandate and mission remains development, and that I think it's very important. So but it's very complementary to what other uh, partners uh, are doing. Uh, our approach consists in supporting long-term investment in institutions, ensuring that local inst- institutions can meet the basic needs of population. And in this regard, it's very complementary to what other humanitarian actors are doing. So two three key points. Yes, there has been a shift over the past decades from a focus on reconstruction to different areas of engagement during crisis, uh, during conflict, and also focusing on prevention, always remaining with a mandate of development this is our comparative advantage Uh, but also it shows the importance of partnering during uh, conflict or even before with other organizations. and I can extend more on this notion of partnership which is essential it's really about uh, humility recognizing that for any development actors to be effective in those very fragile settings uh, it's not just good to partner with other organizations; it's a must we must partner with peacekeeping Peacebuilding building actors, security actors, humanitarian actors because they have comparative advantage, proximity to the most marginalized groups, but also they have uh, also a lot of experience. If I'm looking, for instance, just to finish on the forced displacement agenda, which is a very important agenda. We have the biggest refugee crisis since World War II. We are partnering with many humanitarian organizations, including UNHCR. They have the expertise they and we provide incentive for government to host refugee, and therefore both UNHCR and the World Bank help countries uh, to move on the policy dialogue, which is so important, to provide jobs and services for both hosting communities but also refugee. So a good example about one area where the bank was not necessarily present decades ago, I'm talking about the addressing refugee crisis. And we realize that it's not anymore a humanitarian crisis. This is actually both development and humanitarian crisis. It's a protracted crisis where refugees are staying two years, three years, five years, and they need water, food blanket, but they also need education, health. And this is exactly the role of development actors. So there's been a shift over the past decades and this notion, just to finish, of partnership with other organizations, I can come back to it if you wish, is, is extremely important.
1: Right. Um, so the um, one of the issues that I found very interesting in the in the strategy as well is uh, that it mentions middle income countries. So um, uh, again, it's a shift from the classic approach of um, international development and. Um, work towards fragile states to focus on low-income countries, countries like Somalia, like Afghanistan, that are very poor and with very fragile political uh, structures. Uh, However, um, as Myself and other colleagues at the, at the Institute and, and in this broader field of conflict and, and, and violence studies um, d- often discover is that you go to middle-income countries and they also have problems in some areas, uh, for instance urban areas is an area that we focus, with violence, with some uh, governance and infrastructure. Um, so how how is the World Bank working with middle-income countries and how does that help in tackling uh, conflict and fragility?
2: So so the World Bank, as as I tried to mention before, is working on this uh, agenda of fragility, conflict and and violence in both low and middle income countries. Uh, We have different tools, different uh, financing instruments, uh, but at the end of the day the whole point is how can we help countries addressing grievances, sometimes at the national level, sometimes at the sub-national level. Uh, if, If you look in the Philippines, we are really helping the government focusing on Mindanao and providing support uh, at the sub-national level, but I could be also saying that we are helping countries like Lebanon, like Jordan, that are being impacted by the CN crisis. So the whole point is actually to go uh, uh, beyond this dichotomy of low uh, or lower middle-income countries and try to see how we can best achieve our twin goal, and in this context tackling the issue of fragility conflict of violence is important in all uh, countries what does it mean for instance let's take a concrete example we are helping Jordan uh, Lebanon that are being uh, impacted by the CN crisis uh, by providing uh, concessional financing uh, recognizing the global public good they are uh, offering to the international community by opening their border. They have countries, there are countries that have the highest number of refugee per capita worldwide. And it's very important for us to support those countries as well, uh, like we support other countries like Central African Republic, Somalia, Afghanistan. So uh, yes, this, uh, this strategy shows that also in fact the number of violent conflicts has even more increased in middle income countries compared to low-income countries. So it's very important to address this issue across the board in a holistic manner.
0: Frank, maybe just to return to the uh, question of partnerships, I know that the strategy for fragility, conflict and violence has also mentioned um, that the World Bank, as you also did, will step up its uh, its uh, emphasis on partnerships and its projects. Um, but aside from other international organizations and um, civil society groups, it also mentions the private sector. Could you maybe speak to this a little bit more?
2: Thank you. So. Uh... Let me say that first, the strategy is in fact, uh, and Mia, your question is is a good segue, is a strategy of the World Bank Group. What does it mean? It's a strategy not only of the World Bank, who is working with government counterpart, but also with our sister organization, the IFC and MIGA, that are providing support to private sector. And this is essential. Uh, I mean, 80% of jobs in countries impacted by fragility, conflict and violence are coming not from state-owned enterprise or government, but by private sector. So the strategy really puts together the different toolkit that we have at our level, not only from the bank side, providing support to government to have the right investment climate, the right governance, the right level of institution with capacity, but also to have a focus on private sector, especially SMEs. So important uh, SMEs because at the end of the day, this is where you generate jobs. And jobs in FCV settings, it's not only about Uh, economic growth it's about uh, stabilization as you know private sector is essential uh, in this context Uh, so partnership with private sectors is key especially with IFC and MIGA which are the two entities of the World Bank Group dealing directly with private sector providing guarantee providing incentive constitutional financing to some extent to allow those uh, private sector companies to invest in those countries that represent usually typically a higher level of risk. So this is where we focus jointly with our uh, IFC and MIGA organization. But partnership, if I may, goes beyond uh, partnership with civil society. I mentioned it before, it's critical, uh, not only international, but also local CSO that are very often doing a great job on the front line uh, next to the uh, supporting the most marginalized groups uh, so that's important but also partnership i would say with many organizations I and mean, if you look at in you know, the Sahel for instance uh, we are a key partner of the Sahel alliance uh, along with the united nations where we are working with development and security actors uh, to deliver 6.7 billion dollars in financing in insecure area across the region i mean a concrete example of last year in the center of Mali, for instance, the World Bank is contributing to the reconstruction and stabilization of the Kona Economic Zone, which is a project which is quite key in terms of rehabilitation of key productive infrastructures, creating jobs uh, and ultimately providing basic services to local communities impacted by conflict. This is very important. This is helping the state to reestablish accountability, presence, legitimacy in area where uh, otherwise young people could be tempted to go to with another form of state. So very important to work in this insecure area, but to do so, we need to partner with other organizations that have the presence and that also have experience in this uh, critical part uh, of, of the countries. That's why I would just to finish on the partnership, partnership you know, with with UN Peacekeeping Mission in DRC, in Mali, in CR are critical. Uh, we have been uh, able to provide development support only because we had a very strong partnership with peacekeeping missions. So the strategy makes the point about partnership in the sense of partnership with other development actors, partnership with bilateral actors, which is essential, but it's not only about financing. It's about partnership with organizations that have different mandates, different experience, different skills than the development uh, skills that we have so that we can be more effective on the ground.
0: I mean, that's fascinating and, um, and thank you so much for that for extrapolating on that. My question, I suppose, to follow up would be, um, how do you maintain a, a, a level standard across all of these different actors working in different sectors and perhaps from different countries and systems as well?
2: well and what do you mean exactly by a level of standards, if I mean? Well,
0: standard, for example, in, in project implementation, in evaluation, how, how does that come together?
2: Okay, well, on that, you know, the, the, the bank uh, has uh, uh, clear policies that apply to all the countries, which is about environmental, social, financial management, procurement. Uh, and uh, every time that we uh, help countries preparing projects, it has to fulfill uh, all those, those policies. Uh, and I have to say that we even uh, obviously pay more attention uh, to those aspects in uh, countries where capacity uh, is weak Uh, And that's so So that's uh, very important. At the end of the day, you know, the strategy makes the point, Mia, on the fact that uh, we need to have a tailored approach, we need to recognize that each country will face different uh, fragile situation, different issue, we need to have more granularity uh, uh, to uh, the issue, what is really, what are the root cause of fragility that we're trying to address? Is it about Uh, Lack of governance, is it about lack of services or job to some lagging regions, Uh, is it, so that's actually for us critical as well, is to have a better assessment, which now we're doing in a systematic manner in all those countries, so that we can inform our partnership with the government and focus on areas that we believe are critical. Uh, So this is also uh, the tailored approach that I wanted to mention, beyond the fact that all our policies, of course, uh, on environmental, social aspects, procurement, financial management, apply uh,
0: across the board. Thank you. Um, If I could uh, ask a question about technology. I know that the strategy mentions that the World World Bank is increasingly looking to tech solutions for some of its work. Um, What type of technologies is the World Bank um, increasingly looking to using.
2: So, Mia, thank you for the questions. I, actually, uh, leveraging ICT in those type of challenging environment and a remote and secure environment is critical. Uh, and I have to say that over the past years, we really have focused on uh, geo-enabling for monitoring and supervision uh, on our program that we are financing, which allows not only the bank but also government country and other partners to have access to more regular real-time and actionable data for challenging environment you know when you don't have the presence on the ground when it's difficult because it's insecure not only the bank as an actor but also i would say the government it's important to think out of the box we have those capacity uh, this is the geo-enabling for monitoring and, and services that we are using called, called GEMS uh, that has been launched and that allows us to already cover more than uh, 30 countries, more than 550 projects uh, and helps again to get immediate feedback from citizens to see that uh, yes, the school has been built but the teacher is not there. And this type of feedback not only helps to have more accountability, to build citizen engagement super important in those type of uh, settings, but also it helps to strengthen the capacity of the government, of the country, even when the project uh, financed by the bank is completed, this still remains and helps the government to have better ways of monitor progress uh, as part of national plan. Uh, So yes, leveraging ICT is critical, uh, especially in those remote and secure environment where you don't have necessarily the feet on the ground, but you need to have an eye on the ground, if I may say.
1: Frank, one of the trends that um, increasingly are are clear for um, contemporary armed conflict is that there is, it's very rare to see a clear break between uh, as we discussed before between conflict and post-conflict but also that conflicts themselves tend to be protracted over long periods of time, um, often involving non-state armed groups, insurgents, militias, vigilantes. Um, so do you think that this fragmentation of conflict into lower intensity but longer cycles of violence, uh, was that behind some of the, the, the rationale for the World Bank to start working uh, and not uh, wait for conflicts to end? But more broadly, how do you think that this prolonged trend of conflict um, affect um, the the picture of fragility and 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 underdevelopment and perhaps even more broadly the uh, sustainable development goals that intend to eliminate extreme poverty by twenty thirty. How does that uh, How does the fragile conflict picture uh, interact with this the, this laudable goals of ending poverty?
2: Well, I mean. It's clear that the global fragility landscape has worsened significantly over the past uh, few years. Uh, You clearly, as I was mentioning, have more and more violent conflicts, but also it's not only in terms of numbers, Uh, Antonio, like you rightly pointed out, it's about the nature of conflict and the complexity that has completely changed, involving indeed some non-state actors. Uh, You have more and more uh, violent extremism uh, that are taking advantage of the vacuum of the state, in some cases, not being able to provide services to the most marginalized groups and to young people that are uh, turning to non-state actors, quote-unquote. So I think it's very important to recognize that, yes, the numbers of conflict is actually quite significant. Uh, There are now, today, more violent conflicts globally than at any time in the past 30 years. Uh, we are also facing, you know, the largest forced displacement crisis ever recorded and we see rising inequality, lack of opportunity, discrimination, exclusions that are fueling, you know, all those grievances. And that's why the strategy and the work of the bank overall is precisely to try to help government tackling those root causes of fragility because, again, there is a direct delay, delay link with the poverty. Uh, as I was mentioning, by 2030, more than half of the world's extreme poor will be living in countries characterized by fragility, conflict and violence and therefore we need to focus on those countries, low income or middle income uh, if we want to uh, uh, succeed our our, our mission. Uh, But you are completely right that the the fragility landscape has uh, evolved not only in terms of number of violent conflict but also in terms of actors being involved and for us it's really emphasized the importance of our mission of supporting country to really uh, be accountable to citizens to address grievances, to address the root cause of fragility, uh, in order to achieve uh, the twin goal, which includes eradication of poverty.
1: So um, are you concerned that the um, current pandemic that we're living through um, with coronavirus, uh, I assume that uh, it can't be good news for fragile um, and conflict-affected countries. Um, how do you think it will impact uh, some of, perhaps pick one or two examples if you if you want, but how do you think it, it will impact uh, conflict-affected countries and perhaps uh, on the longer term, Do you think that the multilateral system, which the World Bank is part of, will retain its capacity to support fragile states through what seems likely to be a global economic crisis?
2: So, I mean, clearly, uh, COVID-19 spreads across countries and the impact of the the pandemic could be uh, significant uh, and much greater in countries impacted by fragility, conflict and violence. I mean, these countries, as you know, face existing challenges that are due to uh, typically human capital uh, deprivation, lack of basic infrastructure for health and other services. Uh, and that's why on the, from the World Bank Group, as you may have uh, heard, uh, over the next 15 months, uh, the World Bank Group will deploy as much as 160 billion dollars that will be tailored to the health, economic and social shocks uh, co- that countries are, are facing. Because it's very important to look about how to strengthen their health systems, but also to go beyond. And I think it's very important also to recognize uh, that uh, we have been quite fast in the response. I will give you one example: 100 million dollars that support Afghanistan to slow and limit the spread of COVID-19, uh, where we help the government to enhance the detection, the surveillance, the laboratory system, but also very important to strengthen uh, the healthcare delivery and intensive care. Same for Yemen, where we have a partnership with WHO so and we are always looking in in these countries uh, at uh, forced displaced people and refugees that are extremely uh, vulnerable as well so it's in full line with the uh, strategy that we talked about and in addition i would say those countries are of course uh, hit hardest by the macroeconomic impact of crisis so the bank is also helping countries to devise tailored fiscally sustainable policy response that will support weathering the crisis in the short term uh, and economic recovery in the medium term. So a lot of support that goes beyond, uh, of course, uh, the health support uh, and is looking at three pillars. One, helping those countries implement emergency health operation and strengthen the economic resilience. Two, focus on the poorest and the most vulnerable i was mentioning refugee hosting communities but it's very important to give cash to the poor that are being impacted significantly it's exactly what we are doing and the last but not least it's also supporting on businesses jobs and that's why we work also with ifc and miga so it's a major crisis major impact in those countries that have already uh, uh, very weak systems if i may say and that's why the bank is stepping up in the response as well
1: Many of these countries, Frank, uh, as you as you well know, um, are facing rapid uh, urbanization uh, processes. So the, their cities are growing quite quite quickly, and um, without local and national governments being very uh, prepared to uh, step up in service provision and governance, how do you think that urban growth um, impacts those um, uh, the relationship between? Uh, Conflict and uh, and development and um, do, do are you a pessimistic or are you more optimistic about the role of cities in in, in conflict-affected countries? Because after all, cities also have a positive role in in uh, being centers of economic development, right?
2: Yes, I mean I try to be always optimistic in general. Uh, especially uh, when those challenges are at the level that we are facing, I think overall uh, the incidence and impact of, of COVID nineteen c- can c- can vary significantly, if I may, depending on the countries uh, and over time. But it's true that urban areas, uh, as typically being uh, the hardest, it initially. Uh, I mean, c- you have uh, s- you know capacity of the government to provide support to those households uh is sometimes limited uh, by the fact that they don't always have in urban area existing social safety net programs compared to rural area Uh, you also have the fact that the risk of disruption to the food supply and markets which are a little bit higher in those cases so clearly you know cities uh, uh, but are quite important not only because of the demographics uh, a world that is becoming more and more urbanized uh, but also uh, that because the typical uh, protection system are not always in place in those settings. So we are focusing in rural and urban area. Always a focus for us is to uh, is the marginalised groups, the poorest, the most vulnerable. Uh, and w- that was my point before. Uh, there is not one uh, single bullet solution. You need to look at country by country, and the response. Uh, even if you look just the continent, Africa will be different from one country to another, depending on the dynamics, depending about what is the current uh, national system, social safety net, and how we can leverage the existing program, uh, not to reinvent the wheel, but to be uh, as fast as possible helping government to respond to this crisis. Uh, In this regard, I have to say that uh, partnership with other organizations is critical. Our partnership, you know, as part of the response to COVID-19 with uh, the UN system, WHO, obviously, uh, is extremely important uh, and partnership with other uh, MDBs and other actors is critical. Uh, So that's also part of our response is actually to provide support to countries that allow other partners to piggyback and provide additional financing because we know it's really uh, an action that is required from the entire uh, international community. Uh, and on your question on, on the focus on cities, you are completely right. Uh, we need also to focus on the urban areas that are being uh, the hardest initially and try to see how to leverage our program uh, in those specific uh, settings. But it's also, you know, looking at the other side of the coin, it's an opportunity to build resilience and to make sure that cities uh, are uh, prepared uh, for future crises. So it's also an opportunity to, to focus on those elements.
0: Well, Frank, I think we're gonna end it on your positive and optimistic uh, final uh, remark. Um, thank you so much for sharing your insights and really emphasizing the need for a tailored approach to solving these very large uh, and global questions. And thank you to our listeners as well for joining us again this week. Please subscribe to Sound Strategic for more in-depth discussions just like this. And to keep up to date with the latest trends in international security and armed conflicts, please do follow us on Twitter and Instagram. See you all next time.